today on Ag News Daily. The one that surprised me the most was the sugar beets. So like I mentioned, it was getting close to harvesting season. So one of the growers that we got to meet with was getting his equipment ready. So we got to go in the shed and look at all of it. Listeners Friday, March 31st, last day of March 2023. Edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner and Delaney here to tackle quite a few headlines. It's been a busy morning already on the last day of March. It certainly has, Tanner. Yeah, for, first and foremost, I'd say is weather. We have a very long line of storms sweeping across the central and southern states beginning this afternoon and puts nearly 90 million people across 21 states in a moderate risk for severe weather. Level four and five risks for severe storms now stretch from northern Mississippi to Iowa, including Memphis, Tennessee, Little Rock, Arkansas, Des Moines, St. Louis. Uh, A few along this track are looking at large hail, baseball to golf ball size, high winds potentially exceeding 100 miles per hour, tracking storms that might have EF3 or higher tornadoes in them, as well as uh, continued continued drenchal rain periods. So uh, lots of severity there. Hopefully everybody gets through this without much of an issue, but then once the storm passes, we're already looking at an advanced stage of precipitation in a lot of these areas to where flash flooding becomes a concern. Yeah, I honestly, Tanner, hadn't realized we were gonna have this inclement weather here this weekend, but uh, also was told that by my husband as I was getting ready to head out of town this weekend. So yeah, that's it was good good news to hear that. But uh, we've we've already got schools canceled here locally yes, in that's Central what he Iowa, with me too. and uh, events for this evening. You know, from softball practices, games, plays uh, have all been postponed. So it's quite quite an interesting side of things. Plus, we've got our local KCCI. Uh, weather program telling us that we're at advanced stages of flooding risk coming out of the Mississippi River. So Mm. uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on that. I know we'll report on that a lot, but right now, the predictions for the Mississippi River at Rock Island, Illinois, just east of Davenport, Iowa, has a greater than 90% chance that the river will exceed 15 feet in mid-April due to the storm system. There's also a 75% chance that the river will crest 18 feet. That 18 feet is considered major flood stage. 15 feet would put it outside of its banks. So higher levels are possible depending upon how much water comes out of this storm and how quickly the snowpack melts that we talked about with Eric Snodgrass. Well, Tanner, the other big headline today outside of weather is the USDA's perspective plantings and grain stocks number. So let's dive right into that here. Uh, Just a note of mm, extra note, extra color to the report. Uh, When the report was released right at 11 a.m., lots of people couldn't get into it. I don't know what was going on there. USDA hasn't said yet, but this is not the first time we've seen 
a report, they cause issues for actually accessing the report. But nonetheless, we were able to finally see that come out here just following the release a few minutes late. And corn acres came in at 91.9 million acres. The trade was averaging 90.8, so just a little bit higher than what the trade was expecting there, right at our 92 million acres. And soybean acres came in lower than what the trade was expecting at 87.5 million acres, while the trade was expecting 88.242 million acres. So all in all, that proved to be fairly bullish for soybeans here, bumped up about 30 cents after the release of the report. And corn pushed just a little bit higher with, uh, you know, technically a bearish report based on what the trade was expecting, but still not a total downer there for corn. Of course, we don't know how markets are going to finish because we're recording here at the midday tanner. But as far as other acreage numbers go or numbers went from the report, we also had the quarterly grain stocks report here today, which totaled corn at 7.4 billion bushels of corn for March's release. The average was 7.24 to 7.83 million. So it came right in line with trade expectations there and soybeans came right in line with trade expectations as well, but on the lower end, 1.685 billion bushels, uh, whereas the trade was 1.6 to 1.9 billion bushels. So all in all, fairly bullish report here for soybeans and kind of neutral to a little bearish here for corn. As far as wheat acres go, Tanner, we saw actual reported wheat acres today coming out of USDA at 49.9, which is above trade estimates who were speculating that total wheat acres would be at about 48.8 million acres. So almost a million acres higher of wheat for the year, which again, not a big surprise because as we look at what's going on in Ukraine, I think in Russia, a lot of folks are thinking maybe there's an, a window of opportunity there, but those are kind of the big headlines. I think I've got them all covered here now, Tanner. Good. I might have you dive deeper while I report on the cotton acreage to see if you mm, uh, yes. can pick that update out of there too, because pre-report was stating here that this could be the smallest cotton crop that we have had in quite a while. The pre-report estimates had U.S. cotton acres at 11.2 million. That's sharply down from where the average is at 13.7. The National Cotton Council Planting Intention Survey reviewed that it was coming in at a projected 11.4 million acres. But the biggest thing that our listeners and folks down there in the cotton growing area are battling is moisture. We talked a lot with Eric Snodgrass about that and the relentless drought. The issues this is causing is a potential for a dust bowl for uh, the cotton crops that do emerge and are in this perspective area could be taking a beating from sand that is picked up in storms, but also planting intentions are still up in the air. A lot of growers have both cotton seed and sorghum seed booked and aren't sure which ones they want to plant. We'll see if this storm system that we talked about today is going to move through and drop any potential rain in that area. Obviously, it's no secret that this could drive up the price of cotton. Also, the wearables that we consume, even though we'll look to see what prices do. Did you find anything on cotton acres? Yes. So for some of those outside crops, we don't report quite as heavily on 
U.S. cotton plantings are slightly higher. And I'm going to say really slightly higher than what analysts expected. As you mentioned there, Tanner, we're expecting to see today's report at 11.256 million acres. And we saw the trade or excuse me, I'm sorry. That's what we saw on the report today. The trade was expecting 11.212. So very slight increase in the acres there. Sorghum, we actually saw a decrease compared to what the trade was expecting. Uh, barley, very slight increase. Oats, slight increase. And rice, we also saw a slight increase there. So that might be where some of the acres are shifting for this year, Tanner. Um, but those are the numbers as of today. There you go. Well, let's uh, get an update on the Russia-Ukraine conflict. The Ukrainian uh, presidential advisor rejected the Belarus president's calls for immediate ceasefire. This is obviously due to Russian forces still occupying Ukrainian territory. Stated here in a quote, any ceasefire will mean that Russia has the right to stay in those occupied territories. And this is totally inadmissible. Ukraine has the right to move troops and equipment on its territory as it is deemed necessary. So that was another uh, update coming out of there with Belarus trying to act as an intermediary. Obviously, there are continued updates for targets. Russia also has now added U.S., the United States, to its main security threat list in their new foreign policy doctrine. So the doctrine here contains... Uh, several pages, but states here that signed by Vladimir Putin that the U.S. is the main security threat. They consider Washington's course as the main source of risk for its own and international security, for peace, and for the development of mankind as a whole. This 42-page document outlines the main objectives for the future of Moscow's foreign policy, and among that is strengthening their military cooperation with allies in the elimination of U.S. dominance and world affairs. So I'm sure that's going to go over really well mm -hmm. as news makes it back here to the U.S. No, I don't suppose that will go over very well, Tanner. No, not so much. What else you got today? A couple of updates here on the Argentina front. As we head into the weekend, they are expecting to get rainfall in many of their major farming regions. But of course, this is coming a bit too late. The expectation of more rainfall is, of course, severe drought conditions. And the expected rains are going to be maybe somewhere around an eighth of an inch to anywhere six inches in some areas, which is going to be quite a lot. However, the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange kept their soybean and crop and corn crop estimates the same this week at 25 million metric tons and 36 million metric tons, respectively, even noting some of the recent rains stabilized the crop for now, but not going to be seeing an increase or a drop in total production yet. They also took time to rate the crop. Soybeans now 4% good to excellent, which is two percentage points higher than last week. 29% fair, which is up four percentage points, and 67% in poor to very poor conditions. So they're actually trending a little bit higher towards better crop conditions, but all in all, not probably anything substantial that's going to see a big bump there in production. They also rated their corn crop 9% good to excellent, which is three points higher than last week. But one other piece of Argentinian news here, and it's really kind of uh, more anecdotal maybe than anything, but was reading through some of Arlen Suderman's commentary this morning regarding Argentina. 
And it's just mind boggling, Tanner, some of the inflation that they've gone through, as well as the devaluing of the Argentinian peso. And he was basically saying that, you know, if Argentina could figure out their political and economic problems, they really would be a big contender, a big competitor, and probably a larger competitor than the United States as far as being a player in the world market. But because of all of the economic and political instability, they really can't compete on a major scale. You know, when you look at the value of the peso, they have a peso and then they have a blue peso, which is kind of like the black market value. So when I was there, you know, last month, we had a special person come in to exchange our U.S. dollars and we got a higher exchange rate than what the technical rate is running right now. And here's a comparison of that. The official government trading rate is at 209 pesos to one dollar. The unofficial exchange rate on the black market, Tanner, is 400 pesos for one U.S. dollar. So double the wow. price of what is actually being touted right now as the exchange rate. Uh, but I just th thought that was really fascinating to think about too, as we, as we look at uh, crop conditions and whatnot. And some folks are even suggesting that perhaps because agriculture is so strong in the country, eventually Argentina will work on setting up an agricultural dollar or a soybean dollar to make that more stable and incentivize more trade outside their borders. So just an interesting little story I wanted to share for today. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that and uh, bringing news back within our borders uh, is this definitely applies to the nation as a whole. Former President Donald Trump has been indicted uh, and that is set off a trigger of events. As far as that is concerned, there are substantial presidents of both uh, Secret Service as well as NYPD at all Trump properties throughout New York. Uh, due to this indictment, it does have reports that Trump will return to New York on Monday ahead of his Tuesday arraignment. There is uh, discussion that this would be a voluntary appearance and would not have to involve force. But the issue, as you see things here, Delaney, is the distraction that this may call cause the national legislature. So as far as press conferences, interviews and things continue, it may cause delays in other projects that are moving forward. Republicans, for example, voted to end Biden's war on energy and were able to get four Democrats to move on their side of the bill. So the House voted yesterday to reverse the Biden administration's energy policies that are potentially eroding at the U.S. energy security. Of course, Biden stated that he is going to veto the bill if it does move through the Senate. But the House passed that on. Of course, this is what they're labeling as the Lower Energy Costs Act. It did pass by a 225 to 204 vote uh, as far as that goes. This has the major uh, implications on the Keystone XL pipeline, as well as other restrictions on oil and gas development. So uh, we will continue to keep our eyes on those and uh, move forward with headlines and reporting as we go through what comes out of the news next week. Well, Tanner, I think I have just one final piece of news here, and that's a reflection on 2022 Chapter 12 bankruptcies. We actually saw a significant fall in Chapter 12 bankruptcies for farms. They were at their lowest level in 2022 since 2005, with just 169 farms total uh, filing chapter 12. That's the 
like I said, lowest number since 2012 and a 39% drop compared to 2021. So it does seem like we had a lot of extra jingle in our pockets during uh, the 22 growing season. And will that trend remain in 2023, Tanner? Well, you're a banker. You could probably tell us. I don't think there's going to be uh, much of an uptick, if any. It should continue to drop. Okay. At least locally where uh, information is set. But I'm all out of headlines for today, Delaney. Is it? Let's see what markets have done since we started recording. Absolutely. Well, following the release of the prospective plantings report, we certainly saw markets shoot higher and we're still continuing to be there about 40 minutes past the report. May old crop corn up seven cents today at 656 and a half here at the midday. New crop corn is unchanged on the board at 567. Old crop May soybeans here today up 25 and a quarter cent at 14.99 and three quarters. New crop soybeans also getting a nice pop here about 12 cents higher at the midday at 13.50 and a quarter. And in hard red May winter wheat up three and a half cents on the day at 8.75. As we look over at the livestock markets here at the midday, April live cattle up 27 and a half cents at a buck 67.82. April feeder cattle up a dollar oh two and a half at two dollars ninety two and a half cents, and April lean hogs up excuse me down ninety seven and a half cents at seventy five forty seven and a half. Tanner, as we kick it over to our Friday conversation here today, we are chatting with Gabby Hackley field to fork conversation. What do you search when you're in the market to buy farm equipment? For 45 years, Fastline Marketing Group has served the farming community with quality farm equipment listings for tractors, combines, hay and forage equipment, lawn and garden equipment, and more. Check out Fastline.com for availability on all your favorite makes and models of equipment. And if you're an equipment dealer, put Fastline's industry-leading social media following and marketing expertise to work for you. Fastline Marketing Group is the farmer resource and marketing partner of choice in the agriculture industry. Listeners, being a student myself, traveling is something I always love to do, and I'm sure you all love to travel as well in some ways. And study abroad are very popular at Iowa State and all universities across the nation. But something not so common is domestic study abroad. And sitting with me is Gabby Hackley, who recently got to go on a Midwestern tour. I guess we kind of have decided a little bit. Gabby, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and then just dive into the trip and some things you got to see? Yeah, perfect. My name is Gabby Hackley. I am a senior majoring in agronomy and international agriculture, and I'm originally from Clarion, Iowa. So I went on the field to fork to the prairie trip, and this was a really good opportunity to get to explore different crops other than corn and soybeans. So we saw a wide variety such as sugar beets, um, hemp, flax, and everything else in between you could think of. And it was just a really good experience to get to see some of these crops that I have never seen before. Definitely, it sounds like very unique vegetation compared to what is grown in the area that we're living in. 
um, and everything in between. And being the field to fork trip, it kind of sounds like you got to see every step of the process from being grown in the field to the manufacturing to ending up in the grocery store or in a restaurant. What were the step-by-step processes or was there a specific um, crop that you got to see from start to finish all the way through? Yeah, so we got to see multiple different crops start to finish. Um, It was obviously during the growing season too and for some harvesting season. So we really got to meet with some of the growers and then went to a production site of that crop. And then we were just willing to go and see like how we could find it in the grocery store. So for example, we went to see a just sunflower and then we saw their sunflower dehauling and roasting process and then some of the products that they're doing there are going to end up at Trader Joe's um so we weren't able to like actually go to Trader Joe's because they didn't have anyone near but like Joe's just for an example like if we came back to Iowa if we saw these sunflowers on the shelf where they could have maybe came from and then we got to go later that day to the USDA and North Dakota State University research plot and kind of get to see some of the work the students are doing with sunflower research. Awesome. And with sunflowers and you mentioned hemp and what else was there? You have a whole list, sugar beets. Um, Was there anything that really surprised you with the process of specifically the field portion of it all, like how they grew it or what producers really did with the products they were growing? The one that surprised me the most was the sugar beets. So like I mentioned, it was getting close to harvesting season. So one of the growers that we got to meet with was getting his equipment ready. So we got to go in the shed and look at all of it. And I was really surprised by just what the harvester looked like. It is it is a very intensive um, harvest on the soil. And so just kind of getting to learn what it looks like. They're basically like turnips in the ground. And so they have to dig those up. I just wasn't prepared for sugar beets at all. Let's dive into the hemp growing because that one is a little bit unique compared to anything else that I've learned about before. Could you walk us through that process first? So we went to Healthy Oil Seed and this business um, uses hemp for oil. So we got to kind of test out like what the oils are and then hear the farmer's testimony of how it's helped him with his leg pain or any pain that he experiences since he was a little older. And this was just rather really interesting to me. He didn't, we didn't actually get to go out to his specific hemp field, but we did go to a grower's hemp field and it was just it was, it was not what you're, you, you would expect, not what you're used to. It's just fields full of hemp. And um, the soil there was really patchy. So I wasn't, I don't know what I was expecting for that. But like, it was kind of cool just to see like hemp and kind of hear like the, from the grower's perspective, what does the future of hemp production look like? And with that being said then, what does the future of hemp growing for producers look like? I think in North Dakota, they're really going to push for that hemp production. In other areas, I don't know if they'll necessarily get the same support, but out there it it was a a common topic of seeing that into the rotation in the future. Awesome. So then I know you've traveled to other areas too, whether that be outside the U.S. or inside. How does the agriculture, um, specifically field portion of this production system compare to other areas of the world that you have visited? 
I think this trip was really eye-opening to see just how diverse and how many crops they're able to grow on their field at one time and, and within one growing season. Uh, we really got to see a wide variety and listen to those varieties, but we also got to hear from maybe some growers that are experimenting with corn and their yields are super, super low, like with its 60 um, bushels. So for them, it's just as, it doesn't make logical sense for them to try to compete with like Iowa and some of the more popular corn growing states. And so I think like their strategy to grow like barley on their, on their farm has really helped to just make it so that way this is profitable and it is a go for the growers out there. Yeah. And like you mentioned, growing cover crops has helped them. Was there any other um, systems they used to really enhance the sustainability of their productions? I mean, there's like just some other ones that we toured that were maybe more like organic or um, rangeland grazing that was kind of sustainable for some of the farms. But I think just like the processes that they're doing and the rotation is really sustainable as is like they don't need anything else on it. What about the historical aspect of this trip? I see that was a little bit of a highlight for it. What was that kind of like? So we went to the Bushel Memorial Lakota Museum and the Indian Reservation. So we kind of just got to see like what the culture is like. And uh, prior to actually going on the trip, we did a lot of assessments and readings on what the culture of just the Great Plains in general was like and how over time it's changed and the different populations that have been on the reservation, which was really um, a moment to just like take it back and like see like, okay, this is how things have changed. This is how agriculture maybe has changed it. And just still seeing like the reservation that we visited, just kind of comparing that to how life is for like maybe us as individuals in more developed areas. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, then the reservation that you did get to visit, could you describe it a little bit, everything that it was like and kind of compare it to what we are living in yeah. in our area? Um, so the reservation, I would say, was maybe not as developed as we are within the United States or even here in Ames, but I would say the community that they have was really tight and they, they know a lot of the people that are in there. And so I think it was more of just like, a, we all live together in the same area. Let's be tight and close. We're like, sometimes in Ames, you know, we're like, we live in the same area, but we might not like make dinner together and like those kinds of things. It's more like a small scale with your friends. Cool. So it definitely, the reservation definitely had a unique outlook then for this field to fork process. Yes, I'm for sure. sure, for sure. So is there anything else that you'd like to share about this trip? It looks like you have a lot of amazing experiences from it, a lot of new information learned. Is there any other unique things that you would like to share? Yes. Yeah, so one of the farms we went to was called Arrow K Farms, and one of the owners was Greg Kessel, and he's actually now in the Senator House for North Dakota. And when we were there, before he actually was elected into the house, we kind of got to see from his perspective of what is it going to be like for his kids on the farm now that he'll be away from the farm and what are those responsibilities, what are they going to look like for his kids um, as he's no longer going to be there every day like he is. So I think that was really important to just kind of hear what it was like and kind of hear the kids' perspective because when we talk about handing generational farms over, this was a prime example and they really laid it out on the table. And then along with that, um, 
He is a part owner of the Two Track Malting, which I didn't really talk about that, but Two Track Malting was a malting company that is used in um, beer. So with that, we got to go to a brewery and try like the malting that was in the beer. So that was really fun um, just to kind of experiment with it, but just see like in this area, this beer is everywhere. So like getting that local beer was really important to the to the area. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this, Gabby. We really love it. Thank you. What a great way to cap off the week. Listeners, enjoy your time off this weekend. We'll be back right away again with market update on Monday. So don't forget to tune in. But for today, what do you say, Delaney? Should we let them go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.